Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Well, I'm not sure about you, but growing up, I've had plenty of times where somebody said to me something, and uh, I'm still going through counseling on that. Uh, I think this morning is part of the healing process. Um, but I remember in fifth grade, I think it was fifth grade, um, I had, that was the first time we started to play basketball, and I was just horrible at it. And it did not help the fact that our coach always seemed to... F- to, to look at me and point me as the bad example. Whatever Slavic is doing, just don't do, right? Like that was kind of like me growing up. And to say that I didn't like him probably be an understatement because I really didn't like him. Um, like, I'm not sure what happened to him, but you know, I, I hope that he encountered Jesus. And, uh, but I'll be honest, I think if, it, if he's in heaven, I'll have anxiety, but... <laughs> It was just thing that every single time I would go to this class, I'd have so much anxiety. And that just sort of, you know, that class was over. I moved from, you know, um, uh, middle school. I moved to high school. But that stayed with me. And every single time a friend of mine would say, hey, want to play some basketball? Like, yeah. I would just make up the most random excuse to get out of it. Not only that, but when I would play, I'd just feel so insecure about this whole thing. And I, uh, this has been about 23 years ago, and I'm like, I think I'm over it, I think. Like, and it's just, even like the idea of basketball, and it's weird, because my classmates, they were able to sort of really excel at this, and some of you guys are in here, they play amazing basketball. I just never got good at that. And uh, now we know that I wasn't called to it. Uh, but but it, it's, the interesting thing is that the impact of those words of my coach um, that sort of lasted throughout the years. And I think all of us can relate to a place or a time where somebody says something about you that you'll never become or you can never do something right. Um, and it's not just this one time. I think we all have so many stories. Another story I can bring right now is my first job, my manager, it was kind of like that coach, you know, that nothing that I would do was, would satisfy him. Like if I, if I swept the floor and I made, it was, made sure it was clean, he'd still have a problem with it somehow. And from time to time, I would have a grandpa or a grandma that would come over and say, because I was a grocery uh, bagger person, I don't know what the, the term for that is, but like the person who bags your groceries, right? Um, so they would come up to me like, hey, could you help me to the car? And I would, you know, uh, help them to the car where I would do something nice for them. And they would look at me like, oh, you're such a good young man. You know how like the older generation, they always, you know, do that. And and. and and I could already feel me coming alive and looking over my manager like, uh-huh, right? Like, th- that was my attitude. What I really wanted to say is look at my manager and be like, in your face, somebody thinks I'm great around here. And it, apparently you didn't get the memo, right? Like, it was just this, uh, this, this thing that, you know, when somebody is saying something good about you, I, like, I felt like, oh, you think this is great? Let me show what else I can do, right? Like, like it's just this thing where somebody would comment you on how well you swept the floor, you know, you'd be like, oh yeah, I can sweep it even better, right? Like it just makes you do so many more things that normally you would not do. So we know that words have the power to either crush or bring to life. I I love this passage in Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. You know, I think a lot of times we don't realize the power of our words. 
We just carelessly go around, we say things, and as I was preparing for this message last couple of days, and especially yesterday, I think God just kept on bringing every single time I went off of somebody, every single time that I'm like, I still, I need to make it right with these people. You know, because I started to get so convicted because I felt like this is what I do. I mean, we can call it things like, you know, throwing shade and, and call it things like, well, you know, just have a good comeback. And it feels good. When you have a good comeback, uh, I heard this story of a guy walking, walking by and this guy goes, hey, if I give you 20 bucks, would you cut your hair? And the guy turns around and says, well, if I gave you 20 bucks, would you join a gym? You know, and we are so quick at like having those remarks, quick replies, you know, that cut to the, you know, and I think what cuts even deeper is when that is rooted in some truth. When we start making peop- fun of people, of their nationality or their weight or the way they look or the way they run. Hello, anybody. I'm, somebody feels me in this place. Right? Like, or, or, and, and whenever you are making fun of something that is rooted in some truth, it hurts so much more or it's done by someone that's closer to you. Like normally if somebody on, uh, you know, Joey2546 on YouTube, if they made a comment, you can care less of who, who that comment is. But when you, your spouse or your, your parent or your friend said those things about you, they hurt so much more because people the closest to us, they have the ability to hurt us even, you know, even more than anything else. So, so I think a lot of times we don't understand, you know, how, how, powerful our words are. Not only that, but I think we've always had experiences in our lives when somebody actually maliciously started to attack you. And there's no more, hey, it's a quick reply, it's a quick wit, and it's just a comeback, I still love you. No, when somebody actually maliciously goes after you, you know that that sticks with you for a long time and, and it might stick with you for decades. I, I think there's people in this house this morning that you have things that people have said to you that you still are getting over. You are still ignoring some of the people that have said that to you because at that time, like, and every single time you have another conversation with them, it just brings up the hurts, it brings up the things that they've said about you. And we all are guilty of this. We, we use our tongue to gossip and cheat and, 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 and lie and complain. And, and we use our tongues in things that was not intended. And um, to take this even farther, I think what's even worse is when this rhetoric starts to turn into action. I think we see it in the political discourse right now in the United States where people start to demonize a specific kind of group. If you're a Republican or Democrat, if you're this, or if you're this nation, or if you're you know, an, an immigrant, or are you this, you're constantly having people that have sort of decided to kind of like escalate their rhetoric against the other, the other camp. We see it in the, even in church a lot of times where people are fighting, they're constantly backbiting and gossiping. And, and, it, and I think what amazes me the most is a lot of times we see it, the, the most gossip we see sometimes is usually during prayer meetings. Um, sisters, let me tell you, like last night I was driving by this sister's house and her boyfriend's car was right there. And it was there at 3 a.m. because I went and checked. And then <laughs> it was there at 5 a.m. too, you know? And I'm like, whoa. It, it, obviously, this is a, a fictional story, but like, 
kind of how he goes, right? And he's like, well, you went back twice just to check? This is not you're praying for them. This is you're gossiping. Maybe they just left the car and nobody's there and they went on a trip or who knows? Oh, that's even worse, right? Like, like no matter what you do, like, and, and I love how this pastor once put it that like, if you are talking to a person, that person is not involved in the issue that you're trying to solve or they're not part of the solution, most likely you are gossiping. So instead of going and confronting the, the, that person, no, we start to build camps and say, are you on my side or are you on their side? And I, as a pastor, I've learned this pretty quickly. Don't ever take sides because you have somebody they're dating, right? And then they come up to you and they tell all the horrible things that the other person is doing. And you're like, yeah, and you constantly agree. I'm like, yeah, you're such a great guy. And, and then she'll come to you and tell you exactly the opposite of what he just told you. And you agree with them. And then they get together and they think that you're the problem now. <laughs> you know? So, so uh, I hope your strategy is always pointing to the word of God. Say, hey, are you the husband, the boyfriend, the, the person that what the Bible says, not what I think, and I'm on your side or your side. You know, and I think we're so quick, but I think to escalate this even further, there has been some of the, the worst atrocities that we see throughout history have been done by people escalating rhetoric. If we look at Hitler, for example, he actually came up with this book called Mein Kampf. And uh, some people estimate that every single word in that book, like you take all the people that he's killed and every single word of that book is responsible for about 125 deaths. He, what has he done? He escalated to, to uh, he escalated a rhetoric and he rose to power and he started to use the physical like forces to, to be able to destroy the people he disagrees with or people that are different than his. And, and, and just, to, just to make sure that we don't think that we're somehow, we get on our high horse and like, well, that's because he wasn't a Christian. We've seen that in the church done too. Now, the first person that comes to mind is Jim Jones. 1970s, this guy was a cult leader, a Pentecostal evangelistic preacher, and he was very passionate, but he started to have very cultish tendencies, and he started not to preach the gospel, and he started to abuse things, and then he moved his whole congregation over to uh, this place, uh, I think the place is called Guyana in South, South, South America, I believe, and, and he started to abuse, there's about a thousand people altogether in this camp. And he started to abuse these people. And then uh, a delegation of senators flew there. You can go and research this. And, and they actually shot everyone on the tarmac when they were trying to leave. And then they came back and made everyone drink cyanide mixed with Kool-Aid. So you remember the idea of like, don't drink the Kool-Aid? It has something to do with this too. And they made 900, I think, 18 people drink Kool-Aid, uh, 314, I believe, of them. Don't quote me on those numbers. I think it's about approximate of how many people died. In, in, in three, 314 of them were children, and 900, and I think 18 of them all died. Here you have a Pentecostal leader. So, so you know, I understand that a lot of us are Pentecostal and I'm not here to, to start, you know, smear the movement. What I'm saying is, is that no matter who it is, if it doesn't line up with the scripture, then we should really watch out the rhetoric. I think we should watch, we should watch out everything that I say or Pastor Yuri or any pastor, if it does not line up. And I, I think a lot of times when I come here to preach, I'm like, God, would you remove me from this? God, if I, what I'm saying is not of you, what it doesn't help to illustrate what you're trying to say, then God, stop me from saying it. 
And this is where we get to James chapter one, where he says, not many of you should become teachers. What is he saying here? What he's saying here is that, understand that, now a lot of people back in the day was about people teaching, but now it's like you get on, on Facebook and you write a post, you are, are promoting you know, a worldview. You are teaching people. So be really careful with every single word that you use. You can't just go and run your mouth or get on Facebook and start, oh, y'all lame, y'all this, y'all that, and start going off of people because you will be accountable for every single word that you say. That is scary. And I love well, and Matthew here um, in 1236 says this, and I tell you, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. So, so, James saying, look, I know that a lot of you, and specifically in that time, a lot of people felt like, oh, the teachers and the religious kind of like leaders were, uh, they held like these, these positions of prestige. So a lot of people wanted to go in. They became a Christian and they started to teach everyone. And I, I even noticed in our church, and I, I know like a lot of people where they just came to Christ and they, they want to tell everyone. Now, it's totally fine to tell your testimony and what Christ has done for you. But if you don't understand what you're talking about, if you don't, if you don't know if that's scriptural or not, hold your tongue. Don't be running around trying to teach people because it, what James is saying here, a lot of people, they don't teach people because they want to see people saved. They teach people because they want to hold, you know, prestigious positions and they're doing it out of selfish ambition, not because they truly care what God is doing. And he says, there's a, there's a price to be paid for this. He says, you will be judged more. I mean, we look at this in James um, 3.1. It says, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we, teach, for, who we te- uh, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. So, so don't, don't run around. And here's what, what, what happens. A lot of times people start teaching. They're, they're not equipped to, to do that. Now, if you have a calling to teach, you won't be able to put that away. God will stir up in you and you will have to do it. You know, but if you don't have a calling, don't be going around and saying, you know, no, of course, you're more than welcome to share your faith. All I'm telling you is if you know something that's not biblical or if you're not sure about it, go and study the Bible first. Don't just be saying things just for the, I think a lot of people want to say things, but they don't have a lot to say. I mean, you've probably met people that have done that and they go on and on and on and you're like, what were we talking about again? Because I don't remember exactly where you're going with this. So, so he's making very clear that your words have consequences. Every single day, I love how C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis puts this, every single day you are drawing people either closer to Christ or farther away. You're pulling them towards heaven or towards hell. Your words have an impact. And I think a lot of times we, we try to brush it. Every single time we hurt, every single time someone, said, some, someone says something about us, we try to brush it off, right? And we try to use like really kind of childish approaches to this. And we have things like, I don't know, like I am rubber and you are glue. Everything that you say bounces off of me and it sticks to you. You've heard that before. Or sticks and bones can break my bones, but the words can never hurt me. Yeah, right. Whoever wrote that either was deaf or has no idea what the English language is all about, so he didn't understand what they're talking about. We understand the power of, of words placed to cut. We all know that. Or we kind of just ignore things. And if somebody has a comeback or somebody says something bad about you, you just mock them like, uh-huh, you know, right? Like you, you, you do that. 
where you just mock them, where, where, where you'll take a more passive aggressive stance, right? You just not rejoice with them. Every single time, you know, they say something that, you know, they're like, hey, I, I passed my test. Yeah, you're probably gonna fail the next one. I mean, you should probably study. Oh, I, I bought myself a new car. Is that how you should use the Lord's money? Because uh, I'm just saying that's a very expensive car and stuff. And, uh, and you cannot rejoice with them because you are driven by jealousy and self-ambition. So, so we have different ways, but what I'm here to tell you, abandon the ways you've been dealing and embrace the way of Christ. So, so and, and James uh, 3, uh, 2, it says this, indeed, we all make mistakes. So if you've, speak, uh, if you've spoken a word that is, it is not of God, like we, we understand we, all of us make mistakes, right? He goes on to say, for we could control our tongues. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And we could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go whatever we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all those parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, it, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Wow. Hey, so, so James is saying, look, you got to watch out your tongue because your tongue is set like on fire by hell itself. Now, the word hell here is, is always translated hell in all of our, kind of, I think most of our uh, English translations, but there's two kind of Greek and, and Hebrew words uh, when it comes to hell. There's the Hades word and there's the Gehenna. Uh, Gehenna in Hebrew is um, uh, Gehinnom, I believe. Um, and then you have the Greek, which is Gehenna. And the reason I'm telling you these things is that this what, what, just so you kind of understand the context here, James is talking about the Valley of Hinnom, I think that's what it's called, south of Jerusalem. And what happened in this valley, you can find this story in Second Chronicles, where they, the Hebrews who were reprobate, were people that kind of left the faith, right? They started to bring child sacrifices to the God of Moloch. And the later generations, after they, they came, they started to be so disgusted by some of their ancestors, what they've done, they kind of cursed this valley, and this valley was kind of like a dump place, where everyone just kind of like threw their garbage and they burned it. It was also, it had symbolism of, of death, it had symbolism of fire. It had symbolism of just all the disgusting things. So James is taking this imagery. Now, a lot of the New Testament, and especially in the, in the, the Gospels, we see this word used as, the, uh, as a description for the ultimate hell, which is, you know, after judgment and everyone who has not embraced the salvation coming through Jesus Christ will spend their entire eternity there. So he's taken the most vile thing that he can see around, which is the valley of Hinnom, right? And, and, and describe that the tongue is like that. It, it, it has the power to spill out all garbage and fire and all those things. And not only that, but it has the power to steer things, right? He's using all these images to give us an idea of what the, the, the power of the tongue is. He says it could steal people's direction. 
So, so really watch out what you're saying. It's like, so, so what he's saying is learn, and the first kind of illustration is like a horse that has, the, the, I think it's called a bridle, uh, that goes into the, the mouth. Um, now, I grew up on a farm for a while. One thing we didn't have was a horse, except my friend had one. And, uh, you know, it was a big horse, about 1,000 pounds, I don't know, maybe 1,200 pounds. And here you have this little kid that was just like really skinny, but he would just get on this horse and be able to just kind of have his way on which direction. Why? Because he had this, this thing in, in the horse's mouth, and every single time he pulled, he pulled the, the, the horse's head, so the horse would turn. It, it, we see the same illustration in, in the rudder of a ship or the rudder of an airplane, right? Like you have this massive behemoth of an airplane and you have the small rudder in the back that changes the whole direction of the whole airplane. A word well-placed to cut has the power to destroy. But the opposite is also true. When you give a word of encouragement, it can change people. And when you speak the word of God, it, it transforms everything. So James is saying, watch over your words. Watch over your tongue because it has this immense power. So <clears throat> he goes on to say in James 3, 7, and people says, people cannot, can tame uh, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it causes, or curses rather, those who have been made in the image of God. And so um, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, it is not right. Does a spring of water bubble up, or bubble out rather, with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produces olives or grapevine produces figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by the way you live or by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. So you see James is talking and he's saying, look, your tongue is, you come into church and you sing to Jesus, but then you walk out and you're all kind of gossip, complaining, backbiting, you're doing all these things and says, obviously, this is not right. What James is saying here is your tongue betrays you. The way you know if you're godly or not, all I have to do is just watch the way you talk. Well, Slavic, you don't understand, like, yeah, I might say things, but my heart is unto the Lord. Well, that's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says in Matthew 12, 35 says, a good person produces good fruit or good things from the treasury of good heart. And the evil person produces evil things from the treasure of the evil heart. So Jesus is saying, what's in the heart? It's gonna come out. So the problem with the tongue is not the problem. The, the, so I'm trying to say is the root cause of your tongue is your heart. You wanna change your tongue? Change the heart. The reason you have a lot of time where some of us have a hard time sitting through worship, like, man, they have three songs today. That's kind of long. The reason you, you have to pretend like you care about what's happening here is because your heart is not in it. The reason you cannot praise and bless because your heart hasn't been changed, but you take a person who has encountered Jesus 
And you don't have to tell them to pray. It's because like, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And they, they're all, they're singing. You're like, how can you break into song and, and, and say all at the same time? And like, they're, they're sleeping and they're sleepwalking, praising Jesus. Why? Because it bubbles up from here. And then on the other hand, you have people that, you know, they, they, they claim to be a Christian, but the moment you cross them the wrong way, the moment you didn't say hi, the moment all kinds of evil start to spill out. Let me tell you, let me show you who I really, let me, your tongue betrays you. You want to change the tongue? Change the heart. And this is what I want to spend the rest of the, the kind of our conversation this morning is the problem is not us going around putting a duct tape over our mouth saying from now on, I, I've been really saying a lot of things I shouldn't be saying, so I'm just going to be quiet. No, what we need to do is have our heart changed. But how do we do that? How do we make sure that our heart is changed? Um, he goes on to say this in um, James 3.14 um, says, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not of God's kind of wisdom. Such earthly, or such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For whatever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. What he's saying is, is that you, what you've done is you've made certain idols in your life, in your heart, and your heart is not serving Jesus, it's serving these idols. For example, when you have somebody at your work and you've made your career your, your, your idol, your God, when somebody gets promoted, you can't rejoice with them. When somebody comes like, yeah, did you hear, you know, James got promoted? And you're like, yeah, like he's, he's probably going to get fired. Like once they figure out, I'm sure he's doing something shady. Like I'm, I'm sure something's not right about him. You know, when, when, when you're, if you're a parent and somebody comes and starts talking about like, have you seen, you know, you know, uh, John's kids around? Yeah, that's because they're like helicopter parents, right? You know, they, they, they just kind of like, and you cannot rejoice. Why? Because they're threatening your idol. If you've made your family and your kids your, your idol, when somebody comes around and threatens that, right? And says, well, they're not that great. Ooh, blah, blah, blah. like you really start blowing up. Or you have a work where if you, if somebody, if you bought them a new car, and that's your idol. When somebody scratches it, things are about to come out of your mouth. And they're not exactly going to be constructive. They're going to be very destructive. And I, I know a lot of people that they, we have a tendency a lot of times to do this. You know how like in the um, World War II, there would be a lot of places where uh, these planes would fly over and they would just drop the bomb. And these pilots go home and have breakfast or have lunch but the people that were bombed, they had to deal with the carnage of those bombs. I think a lot of times that's what happens with our words. You have a person that comes in and just drops a bomb. Y'all lame. Y'all just heretical. And then just leave. 
Or you, you drop a whole bunch of gossip on someone, like on pastor here is like this, and pastor here is that, and pastor, and you just completely destroy a preacher, and then everyone that, that has heard that, they cannot listen to that person's sermon because all their, their dirty stuff, now that doesn't happen in our church. I know, I know of churches that, that this happens to, right? And you cannot enjoy the sermon because you have all these things that you are told about this person. Because you know, all of us are perfect. So, so don't be one of those people that you drop a bomb and you walk away. That is not the mind of Christ. That is not the heart of Christ. Be the one that comes and encourages. I know a lot of times it's either me or Pastor you or some guest or somebody else that speaks from the stage, but nothing holds you back from encouraging people around you in this church after service and before service and during service. So, so watch out your your rhetoric, watch out your, you know, language. There's this uh, the phrase in, the oral, uh, in World War II, they would say that loose lips uh, sink ships. You guys probably heard of this, where this was a whole campaign where people kept on saying, don't talk about the war because you might slip out something that not, you're not supposed to say, or maybe you're gonna escalate the rhetoric. I think that's, that maybe should be the motto of a lot of times in the modern day, how we talk politics. You see, loose lips don't just sink ships. They also wreck lives. And when we go around running our mouth, that has consequences in those people's lives. When we gossip, complain, lie about other people, you know, when we berate them in front of a whole bunch of people, it is almost impossible where somebody says a well-placed comment and you have such a good comeback, but you're like, ooh, I don't want to destroy them. Like, it's so hard to hold that in. But this is what it means to die to yourself daily and say, this doesn't build up. Now, see, here's the thing. Everything that you say has to be true, but not all truth has to be said. Okay, you don't have to go around telling people they're fat and ugly. You don't have to go around telling people, oh, well, I just, I think it was Jonathan Edwards, a uh, lady came up to him and says, well, I think I have the gift of speaking my mind. And Jonathan Edwards said, well, uh, I think that's a gift you should probably bury. <laughs> you know, not everything that comes to your mind is constructive. That's why Apostle Peter says that, you know, when you tell the truth, you have to tell the truth in, in, in gentleness and respect, not just going around and saying the truth. Well, that's just true. It could be true, but it doesn't build up. It's set out to destroy. And when you are at a, uh, your small group and you start to gossip about other people, do remember these people, they have to deal with this somehow after. And uh, nothing's more, I, I feel like writing the sermon, I was like, man, Pastor Yuri, like I should probably like reconsider preaching on this. Cause I was like, I was getting so convicted about every single time I've done it. So the problem with your loose tongue is your heart. But the problem with the heart is the, the heart makes idols of everything. And if you've made your wife, if you've made your friends an idol, the moment they drop the ball, oh, you're going to be in their case. If you made uh, your, your, your kids your idol, I mean, think of a scenario. You come home and let's say you, maybe if you're not married to your mom, but if you're married, maybe your spouse. And you come home, let's say you, you're the husband and you come in and your wife, you know, maybe brought something to the table that is not very good, or your mom, for example, if you're single, and you start 
you know, I work and I pay rent around here and I pay for this house and all I'm asking is for a good meal. Is that so hard to get? Do you feel like your mom or your spouse feels so loving to you right now? Do those words build up is what I'm saying. They don't. Because she probably, your mom or your spouse, had a very long day. But you coming in and saying, hey, you know what? This is not the greatest meal you cooked, but I just really want to say that I appreciate you for all the work that you've done. And, and, and the, 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 the way you serve us, the way you wake up in the middle of the night to take care of us, the way you've, you've done that, those are words that build up. Do you see the contrast here? But the, the weird part about this is that we're unable to do it. When you get angry, things come out of your mouth and like, and you apologize after, but it's again, like it's dropping a bomb and leaving. I wish to tell you that every single time I do it, right? Um, I do it perfectly, but that's not what it is. Like I've had so many times where I had to apologize right after I said something and I was like, what was that? Why would I ever say that? And if you've been a leader here for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? Like, and I was just like, how is that constructive? How is that, what? Like, I, I, I wish I could take my foot and, and put it in my mouth, but I don't reach that far. So <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it just amazes me some of the, the, the stuff that out of, you know, if I'm, I'm tired and I'm, I'll just snap back and say things and I'm like, what, why did I say it? And, and here's, here's what uh, James is saying is that nobody is able to really control their tongues. So the question is, I, I've spent this whole first part of the sermon talking about how impossible it is at times to control your tongue. So what is the answer then? How do you control your tongue? Well, the answer is to change your heart. But to change your heart, you have to make sure that your heart worships the right God. You have to make sure that your identity is rooted in God himself. Not in how your identity is not rooted in your career. Your identity is not rooted in how, you know, good you look as a family. Your identity is not rooted in all these other things. Now, those are maybe fruits of having your identity in Christ. But when you start taking, putting people and things on the pedestal, it will backfire. So my hope to you is that we get godly wisdom. In a verse 17 says this, but the, but the wisdom from above, it, it is first pure. It, it also is peace loving, gentle at all times. Think about that. Not gentle few times, gentle at all times. And everything that you say, right? He goes on to say, it shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. In a few minutes here, I'm going to call it to prayer, but I'm going to ask you this, that all that we've talked about right now, it's impossible for you to control your tongue. I know that sounds a bit depressing, but just hang on for the good, good news. You are not able on your own accord to stick your foot in your mouth. What you need to do is change the heart. And the only way you can change the heart is to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ.
He's the one who has done what none of us could. He's the one who fulfilled the law perfectly. He's the one who comes and gives us the strength to be able. And you'll start to see how day by day, things that used to really make you mad are slowly fading away. And you're like, you know what? Because you're receiving this love from him, you are able to constantly love people around you. And no matter what they do, it doesn't really affect you because you're not loving them because they're they're great to you or not. Oh, if you love me, you do this. No, there's no such a thing in Christ. I love because Christ loved me first. And because he loved me, I'm able to give that out as much as, as possible to every single person that I encounter. And there will be people that will spit in your face. There will be people who will have really like just the, the right comment to just cut you down and say things about you that are true. And it desperately, and, and it, it hurts. And there will be people that are maliciously going after you to destroy your character, to destroy who you are. But in all of that, you will have peace, understanding that, you know what? I am not defined by what they say about me. I'm defined by what Christ says about me. That is the hope of the gospel. Is the son of God gave up everything and became like one of us and walked with us, you know, and walked the same path as us. And now he's at the, 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 the throne room of, of the Father interceding for us. And he has sent us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And every single time you, you go up to your spouse, your mom, your friend, and you just want to put that comment because you've been tired. And, and the Holy Spirit's like, nope. Remember, you're not defined by that. I love you. You can let this one go. You can let all of them go. They don't make you who you are. It doesn't matter what people say online about you. It doesn't matter what people have, have said before about you. None of those comments defy who you are. What matters is what he says about you. And, and I think when we look at James and we talked about first couple chapters about faith, you know, it's not faith plus works that save you, but faith that produces works. If you've been a Christian for a very long time, but you're still spilling out garbage daily. Now, of course, I'm not trying to be crass when I offend you. I'm not trying to say that like everything that you say is garbage. All I'm trying to say is when we don't care about the other person, but all we're interested in is to cut people down. Pause. Say, Lord, I gave you my heart and now it's surrender to you. Vengeance is yours. You're the one who brings everything to right. You're the one who puts everything to right. I'm not going to go this route. Because the moment I start to, to do this, the moment I become like them and not like you. And I promise you, maybe the beginning is going to be extremely difficult. But you'll start seeing how things will get easier and easier and easier. I love how there are some people that I know that no matter what, you can never do anything wrong with them. It, it amazes me. It's like, how was this trip? Well, we broke down like five times, but we were together and we were singing. <laughs> You're like, I would have a very bad day, right? Like going to Mexico and breaking down three times, our bus breaking down three times, right? Like people that they are so overjoyed with the things that God is doing in their life that they just, they don't 
feel like they have to tally everything and make sure that, oh, they said this comment. Oh, I'm going to tell them. I got to go after them. You don't, have, you don't keep scores. You don't have to spend your night thinking, oh, wait until I see him tomorrow. Like, this is going to get ugly fast. And that said, I want to say this, that maybe you don't do that. It's impossible for us to stop our tongue unless our hearts are surrendered to the ultimate king, to the ultimate person who is worthy of all worship. So this morning, I'm going to call you. If you have not made that commitment, I would love to, to pray with you. We're going to have our prayer partners and the second you, you guys can come out. Um, but if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I want to pray with you. And when we go towards prayer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second here. And maybe you have made Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, but you don't allow him to reign in your life. You're not dying to your own comments and the way you, there's so many areas of your life that you haven't surrendered. And maybe this morning is a, is a time, and, and, and the Holy Spirit, if you're faithful, if you, not necessarily if you're faithful, but if you are wanting this, the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind comments that you haven't forgiven people for the last 10, 20, 30 years. And He's going to ask you to forgive those people. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.